Hey there! Are you tired of waiting for the next episode of It's Probably Not Aliens? Well, we've got some good news for you. On Nebula, our streaming service, you can get access to all our episodes a week early. That's right, you'll never have to wait again to hear Scott and I debunk the latest ancient astronaut theory or get a movie fact wrong. But that's not all. Nebula is home to dozens of content creators we know you like, so you can find all your favorites in one place. Plus, we post content on there that you won't find anywhere else. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and listen to the next episode right after this one. That'd be a good way to start. What do I know about Ecuador? Well, I know when God closes an Ecuador, he opens an Equa window. Uh-huh. That's about the extent of what I know. <laughs> a, a, a pun. That was my entire plan for this cold open, Tristan. I was just going to wait for you to toss it to me, and I was going to make that joke, and I was hoping it would lead to something. Well, the only thing I can add about Ecuador, love Ecuador. I have a few things I can say about Ecuador. Please. I have exactly that one thing that I said about Ecuador. So please pick up the slack. So one of the little things that people don't know about me, and this will surprise literally nobody, is that I was involved with a bunch of like activist social justice things in undergrad. What? Yeah. You? But it resulted in a couple funny things and an interesting friends that I made because I was the first and at the time only male member of the gender equity club, like the feminist club on campus. Okay. Which I'm sure will surprise everybody. Uh-huh. And I was also the only heterosexual member of the Pride Alliance. <laughs> nice. We love an ally. And in Pride, I became friends with like an Ecuadorian woman named Vivi, who has just through like the sheer coincidences of like the universe. A few people have actually done this, but um, there's this weird collection of people who went to the same university that I went to in rural Quebec. Okay. Bishop's University. Go Gators. Yeah. For like the 10 people who listen to this podcast who know about that. Well, Nicole and Mark listen to this podcast, so I know they'll at least go, woo, woo. This, this is a university that literally like most Canadians will not have heard of. It is so small. But a handful of us have just all wound up in London and we've like all uh-huh. found each other and we all like kind of had some connection with each other. But Bibi like ended up moving here and she recently got married and we're kind of like doing a little bit of business together. And so one of the things that happened when we first like kind of did some co-working stuff together was she was just like, Tristan, have you ever heard of this uh, Dungeons and Dragons thing? And I was like, <laughs> have I? And then I like did Boy, the sort of like I. Captain America and that Spider-Man movie, like turning the chair around. Uh-huh. Anyways, several hours later, they played a like New Year's Eve D&D session that I ran. Excellent. That because they didn't give me any like notes to go off of for making this one shot, I did like research into like Ecuadorian New Year's traditions and like Ecuadorian cryptids and stuff like that. And they had a lot of fun with that. That's great. Yeah, and then now they want to go back. They want more now. I'm like, okay. They want more. You've opened an Equa window into their... (laughs) 
into their love of D and D. I know some other stuff about Ecuador that is like less fun, like the fact that it is a country that the United States supremely fucked over by putting them into tons and tons of development loan debt. And in order to get that, they had to open up their economy because Ecuador has oil. So oh. our American companies own a bunch of Ecuadorian oil sure. assets. And eh. well, the part where Tristan makes you sad is happening sooner and sooner in these episodes. Yeah, it's like huh? it's like Christmas. It comes earlier and earlier every year. Uh huh. But also the Galapagos Islands are part of Ecuador. Oh, that's great. I like them. They got big tortoises. Yeah, got got the birds, lots of different birds. Lots of birds. It's got the vampire bird. I don't know about that one. One of the one of the birds, one of Darwin's finches, is a finch that eats blood. That's awesome. Yeah. Good on ya. Today we're going to Ecuador. We're going to Ecuador. What are we do? What is who are we? We, we are, know where we're going. Oh yeah. Who, this is a podcast. Who are we? It's a podcast this called is a Proud podcast. Aliens. That is true. What do we do on this podcast? Well, I'll explain really briefly. We look at the show Ancient Aliens and Ancient Astronaut Theory and other just alien conspiracy theories and we look at them while also taking into account the context of different cultures and history of real life people and places and things and it's just a lot of fun we have a lot of fun around here debunking stuff and learning about cool actual stuff and I say we learn I'm a part of that we I learn because I don't really come in here with much of anything I'm Scott my name is Scott I know nothing I come in here with exactly one pun about Ecuador that I will be using for the rest of the episode. And that's what I do. Uh, My name is Tristan Johnson. I'm the one who is burdened with the weight of knowing too much. You know nothing. I know too much. Together, we make a normal person. Yeah, together we make a normal person. We make one normal human. Yeah. But yeah, today we're talking about, this is one I've been sitting on for, actually I've been sitting on it for that long. Well, good. It's probably uncomfortable. Yeah. Don't stop sitting on it. We're chewing our way through this episode on underground aliens. And so this mm. episode of Ancient Aliens, it's a lot of stuff about underground caves. And like, you know, we talked about Darren Kuyu, but also- yes. Like, even as far back as the underground in Dulce yeah. and such. So today we are doing something about caves. Everyone loves a good cave. Everyone loves a good cave. I love a good cave. Mm-hmm. There's someone making a cave in their home right now. I guess it's really a mine. We've talked about this for like three episodes in a row. This woman who is building a mine. I have no idea what the status of that is. And I don't care to look it Has up. Has she struck a vein of either natural gas or something and like suffocated or had carbon monoxide poisoning from the fact that- We'll never know. Mines are dangerous. <laughs> if the updates suddenly have stopped, we've got questions. I'm surprised at this point that she's gone for so long and like the police haven't been involved. <laughs> I'm just so interested. I don't know. I'm no lover of the police, but it seems like a hazard. Yeah. People are like, stop talking about the woman who's making a mine in her home. But how can I not talk about it? It's so weird. It's weird. It's cool. But it's also weird and also uh, probably not advisable. Yeah, don't do it. Don't do it just because you want us to talk about you on this podcast. Yeah, but yeah, this is actually also a ancient astronaut slash like pseudo archaeological gem. It's one that's pretty Mm -hmm. well known. And it's going to take us all sorts of places, including in a small way, the moon. Oh, dig far enough. Yeah, the moon hit the inside moon. (laughs) Well, we'll get to that. So there's a place in Ecuador called the Cave of Teos. All right. I've never heard of this. All right. Let me see if I can do my best. Like millions of people around the world believe that according to legend, there's a cave called the Cave of Teos that holds hidden treasure and ancient (gasps) knowledge. Whoa, that's the coolest kind of cave. Somewhere within the Cave of Teos lies a collection of metal plates. 
Oh. These plates are said to be a library, a metal library, which it's sometimes a metal referred library. to, which contains the history of an advanced civilization that existed 250,000 years ago. Whoa, that's old. Yes, yeah, multiple times older than the entirety of settled civilization. So that is very interesting. Old as balls. Is that, we've talked about that as the technical yep. term. Old as balls. And also apparently in this cave is evidence that extraterrestrial civilization were also there interacting with humans in this distant past. This is cool. I love a good cave. Yeah. I love a good ancient cave filled with ancient treasures and knowledge and plates. I should have made my Ecuadorian D&D adventure just be this. (laughs) This is a dungeon. It is a dungeon. Of sorts. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes you hear this referred to as either the Cave of Teos or the Metal Library. Both really good. Mm -hmm. The Metal Library sounds really cool. It it does sound really cool. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm excited. This is something new to me. I know you said it was sort of pretty well known, but it's well known if you are deep in crankery. Like it is a Mm. it's not an ancient aliens mainstay. This is like kind of like a retro. I'll tell you this. And there's for conspicuous reasons why it's not talked about today. And I'll say like if you were like an ancient astronaut theorist head in like the 1970s. All right. Then, yeah, you'd be really, really into this. I'd be into it. Not so much. And we'll get into why later on. (laughs) Oh, all right. I'm hooked. You've got me. Tell me about this. So go through. Let's start with the legend overall. So it's believed, again, that there's this collection of metal plates somewhere in this cave system that are made of various metals, including gold, and are engraved with different symbols, geometric designs, and inscriptions, and describes this ancient 250,000-year-old civilization. Different crankery flavors have linked this to Atlantis, if you know you're more of a Gramcock. I have linked it to the Hollow Earth theory, that this Mm -hmm. is like a pathway to the Hollow Earth. Or just another one that I found out recently, this concept that the world is full of an extensive tunnel network that just like the underdark is real basically the underdark is real i and like so they, that. this is made by the myconids or something like that so when i joked about the inside moon i wasn't far off when you were talking about hollow earth theory. yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. which we have done an episode about if you want to mm-hmm. go check it out it's a fun one it's a good one yeah so the origin of the story comes from a guy by the name of juan Maurice. And by the way, I'm going to say Maurice is the closest I could get to. It's Hungarian. And I know like like gotcha. Hungarian speakers come at me because I always fuck up names and somebody who natively speaks the language will come at me. But here we go. It is M-O-R-I-C-Z. Yeah. In case you want to know. So Juan Maurice was an explorer who claims to have found this library in the 1960s. You put explorer in quotes. I'm confused about that because like on one hand, I get that like you could call like a researcher. We put that in quotes a lot with these cranks, but I feel like anyone wandering around could claim themselves an explorer. Okay, is that put, like put a, a pin in that then. I'll, we'll get okay. to it later. All right. But all he right. is a Hungarian Argentine person who claims he found the metal library. He was born in 1923, died in 1991, and he's known for two things. His connection to the cave of Teos, but also having what I'll call controversial beliefs about history and the world. Okay. Specifically. That's not new to us. Yeah. Yeah. Specifically. And tell me if you've heard this one before that groups like the Sumerians, the Hungarians specifically, and the Mm -hmm. Iberians were part of this ancient advanced civilization that uh, he believed actually originally came from the Americas and that indigenous South American languages were actually the connective tissue to these people. Specifically, he believed that um, like, because there's these, there's these, so in Europe, there's a couple, a couple cultures that have have linguistic roots 
that are very confusing to people because they're kind of outliers. The two big right. ones being the Basques, who live in a, a part of Spain, that uh, the Basque region of Spain has a language that doesn't really seem connected to any of the languages that exist today. And some people think it has like, links to like ancient like European languages that are long dead. The other uh-huh. is Hungarian. And I think we talked about this like all the way back in like the first episode of this podcast about the Fermi paradox. Yeah. But there is like a theory that like Hungarian is like an alien language because Hungarian linguistically is very strange and tracing its lineage has been quite uh, complex. So Juan Morish apparently has uh, come to conclusion that these are actually the descendants of an ancient South American civilization that uh, that spread all around the world like hundreds of thousands of years ago and have died out. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Basically remnants of this ancient Magyar society, which the Magyar is like a kind of the the people who settled in what would become Hungary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now he has no evidence for these claims. Oh no. (laughs) Surprisingly enough. (laughs) He had me going there for a second. I was like interested. I was like, okay, all right. Interesting. But nope. Uh, he has no evidence for these claims, uh, but n- nonetheless, uh, his work is the thing that contributed to this um, this story of the legend around the cave of Teos. His ideas also are linked to other fringe theories. A lot of his evidence comes from those of groups like the mm. Fool Society, which again okay, was this, uh, yeah, which was don't... basically like the, the sort of esoteric Nazism of like uh, the ancient white people who uh, who who kind of did it in reverse, where they thought that all of these advanced American civilizations were actually influenced or the of ancient white people who brought it over. So he kind of did it in reverse, but gosh, it's so weird how a lot of this stuff just keeps connecting to Nazis and Nazi adjacent uh, ways of thinking. That's so mm-hmm. strange. Yep. Uh, the other thing is that people wouldn't have known much about Morich's claims until a, uh, a Swiss hotel no. bartender no. turned, uh, turned crank, uh, turned crank supreme. No. Eric von Daniken uh, ah. did a collab. <laughs> He hit him up in the DMs and said, "You want to make a want to make a video together? Want to make some content together?" Yep, and uh, and so their work together wound up in a book called "The Gold of the Gods," keeping on themes. Von Daniken. <laughs> it is so I like I know I know intrinsically like I know how big of an impact that Von Daniken has, but every time he comes up in yeah. these episodes, I'm like, I cannot believe this one guy yeah. <laughs> screwed up so much of the world. He He's the Mr. Worldwide of pseudo-archaeology. He just like, <laughs> he really every time is. you see something, there's just like, Eric Fontanikin's like, Mr. Worldwide, showing up. And you're like, wait, he's in this too? Why is he all over the place? Why are you here? Yeah. Uh, Pitbull, Eric Fontanikin crossover, when? <laughs> Hopefully never. So, basically, the thesis of the book Gold of the Gods was that there was this prehistoric earthly period called the Era of the Gods, where aliens regularly interacted with humanity uh, before uh-huh. they left. And this is sort of when all this stuff happened. Daniken, Von Daniken suggested that the caves are actually artificial tunnels and that the library of and that this library of metal tablets is evidence that extraterrestrials visited uh, this period and that there was this advanced civilization. Um, okay. Gold Big of the claim Go- there. Yeah. yeah. Gold of the Gods was basically the first thing that really brought this to a uh, global audience and uh, and sparked interest in these like sort of ancient 
tablets that were rumored to exist. And in the book, he writes about how he descended into a cave with Juan Marich himself, with like Juan Marich as oh. a guy, that they went to the cave together and described seeing mounds of gold, strange statues, and the library with the metal books. They went, they saw it firsthand with their own eyes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of vivid descriptions, and this fascinated the public and fueled an interest in looking for lost treasure and uncovering ancient secrets. Did they take any photos? Did they take any of the gold? Did they take any of the artifacts? Weirdly, no. With them? That is that is a strange aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, they just sort of left it there. It doesn't sound like them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, though, this uh, sparked so much imagination that they aimed that other people aimed to investigate it. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But okay, they again posited that these caves might have been artificially made because there's some like kind of like it's about two kilometers of tunnels. And some of them are actually rather straight. But that there's also there's been connections that it's also other claims have put it that it was Atlantis. Some have also made connections to the legend of El Dorado, which is this uh, sort of South Ah. American legend of a city of gold. Um, Yes. Popularized by the 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 road to El Dorado, the the, the road to El Dorado is it a Disney movie or is it a is a DreamWorks? Couldn't tell you. I said no matter what I pick, it'll be wrong. Yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> so, yeah. but this was very intriguing for all of explorers, including a man by the name of Stan Hall, who in 1976 led an expedition and tagged as his celebrity guest Neil mm-hmm. Armstrong. Neil Armstrong, otherwise He's known as go- the first man who walked on the moon. <laughs> He's gonna be the first man on the inside moon. Yeah, he he, found, he he heard about the inside moon and didn't want to be one up. So he was like, I got to be the first man on the one upside moon too, or the inside. Yep, moon too. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in this, in this uh, investigation, they failed to find the, any existence or any signs of an advanced civilization or this metal library. What? You yeah. don't say, but it's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Stan Hall, the guy who who pushed forward with it, was inspired by reading The Gold of the Gods and did this okay. uh, this 1976 expedition to what is locally called the Cueva de los Tayos and uh, was it was a significant event. It got a lot of media attention because uh, this was 1976. So Neil Armstrong had only been back from the moon for the last seven years. So he was still like kind of riding high as first man on the moon. Yeah, I mean, you should... You could ride that high for the rest of your life. I believe I'm he did. Sure he did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stan Hall led the uh, led the expedition, uh, but involved over a hundred people, including uh, members of the British and Ecuadorian military, expert cavers, scientists, engineers, and then one Neil Armstrong. Yep. Who served as the expedition's honorary president. <laughs> Which is just like, how do you be the president of an expedition? I don't know. But uh, the goal was to explore and map this cave system and search for the metal library. All right. And simple, straightforward treasure hunting. Let's go. They did not find anything, but they did. uh, But I want to say that this is not a complete loss because the expedition did successfully map the entire cave system. Great. They discovered like new zoological and botanical findings, like discovered new animals and plants. Oh, that's awesome. Made some some genuine archaeological discoveries that dated to almost 10,000 years years ago so they found some pretty cool stuff uh, but not 250,000 mm-hmm. years ago so it, it, kind of like a part where Tristan makes you happy though is that this expedition did renew interest in the cave system as an archaeological site and a like ecological site yeah caves are cool to the point where now the Cueva de los Tayos is actually protected by the Ecuadorian government and visitors have to have a licensed guide in order to protect the, the cave itself now, the, now. Did, the, this, this legend of the metal library has really resonated with the local indigenous people specifically the Shuar people who now claim that the 1976 expedition looked in the wrong cave as their explanation so that that's why they failed oh, to find the library wrong cave yeah 
Um, that so, may, yeah, there's a lot of caves. You just got it wrong this time. Yeah, you just got the wrong one. Uh, so Stan Hall was a Scottish engineer and explorer who got a lot of renown because of this. Even And afterwards, even after the expedition where they didn't find any of these uh, golden plates, dedicated his life to exploring and conserving the caves. Sounds like a good guy. Uh, and left behind a significant legacy to inspire more exploration of this place. His daughter, Eileen Munoz, actually mm-hmm. carried on this work, dedicating the last 15 years to the historical and ecological conservation of the cave. Oh, great. And uh, yeah, and the Teos Caves, he also started something called the Teos Organization, which was which is dedicated to the historical and ecological conservation of the Teos Cave. This organi- I like it. Yeah, this organization focuses on like uh, kind of keeping the legend alive and studying the history of Ecuador's and the Americas, collaborates with other organizations, NGOs, scientists, researchers, and even artists to achieve these objectives. So they've, uh, the Teos organization, uh, they have, they want to continue their, their goal is to focus on continuing research into this specific cave and looking into the, uh, the treasure legend and also, but also at any pre-Columbian cultures of Ecuador and South America. Uh, they also focus on the ecological conservation of the cave because there mm-hmm. are endangered and like endangered species there and biodiverse ecosystems across Ecuador that they also want to kind of keep going. Of course. And, um, and yeah, they just want to kind of keep making sure that like they, they've, they've they branched off into like an entire like Ecuadorian ecological preservation society. Absolutely. This is nice. Mm-hmm. This is a part where Tristan makes me happy. I'm yeah. glad that they, they, they looked into these caves and they're like, well, we couldn't find the stuff you were talking about, but there is a lot of really cool uh, life down here. There's a lot of interesting archaeological stuff down here uh, and people are working to preserve it. That's great. It's like a metaphor for this podcast. Yeah. You go in looking for the, the 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 mythical hidden library and you end up finding a lot of cool science and history inside, right? Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, yeah, the, the Teos organization also uses art, music, and film to connect people to the spirit of the cave, share its lessons, and guide audience to deepen their relationship with nature. So it's, ta- it's all about like creating a sustainable future and having yeah. our relationship with the earth get better, that kind of stuff. Uh, I love it, it. It relies on donations for its work and it encourages contributions to support its efforts. So if you want to go donate to the Teos organization, I can't vouch for anything else they've done. I haven't been able to juice enough to find out if they like secretly support something horrible, but uh, mm. all that seemed pretty chill. Yeah, that seems pretty neat. So let's look into this whole thing about uh, about the cave and the hidden library. So there has been... Yeah, um, th- we've, th- we've not found this library, but I'm no. interested in this library. Yeah. Um. So despite the fact that the cave has been entirely mapped at this point and there's been extensive uh-huh. exploration there's no evidence of any metal library or advanced civilization here well hold on if i know anything about treasure hunting and hidden societies and like secret uh libraries and treasures and stuff sure the cave system might be fully mapped out so you say but have they checked for any hidden walls and secret doors yeah they, have they like pulled that? on all of the books on all of the shelves they found uh to make yeah, sure they did. The, there was nothing that opened up a little compartment a little any, like Little entrance there. There's no illusory wall in any capacity. Are they? Have they hit everything? Did they, they hit everything get with past, their sword? If you try to get past, there's one room that you have to turn off all the lights, or else you're just gonna get blasted away by the statue. So you have to like. That's exactly right. And then you won't pass the trials of Shar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other, so the only real physical evidence, which comes from a priest by the name of Father Crespi, uh, is apparently had who produced apparently an artifact of the cave. Uh, found that this was made with modern materials. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So not like 250,000 years. No, made ago. modern day. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, and also the cave's 
formations have been shown to be extremely natural, which uh, contradicts a bunch of the claims about it. Ecuador is very volcanic, uh, so it is almost definitely like an old lava tube or something like that. Oh, see, it just keeps being more interesting to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of volcanoes, you see that like Iceland is like cracking in half right now because like a volcano that oh, has no. been dormant for like 800 years is starting to come back to life and it created like a kilometer long fissure and it's like filling. It looks like fucking Mordor right now over in Iceland. Oh my it's God. Wild. Like they're going to have to evacuate a town soon because like a volcano is going to eat it. It's, oh, yeah, goodness. it's insane. Anyways, the local Shuar people uh, have knowledge and use the cave a lot, but they're basically this this myth that uh, was brought up basically came from like leaning into legends that they have about the cave and sort of, you know, twisting it and misinterpreting it in order to get this attention. Um, yeah. So that is that. Uh, so uh, that also comes back to like, where does this actually come from? And that's it's that Morich. And then it turns out later that Morich admitted that he made everything up. <laughs> what? I did not see that coming. Yeah. And then also uh, shortly around the same and also that uh, and around the same time, Von Daniken had to admit that he had actually never been to these caves. No way. (laughs) Von Daniken, how could you lie? You just made something up. That's not like you. Which is just like the which is very funny because one, the fact that Von Daniken has admitted to making things up and the fact that this happened before, like it ended up in Ancient Aliens. Yeah. So Ancient Aliens published something that even Von Daniken admitted he had not been involved with and something that the person who claimed about it had also uh renounced and said that he made up so it didn't stop them yeah like at one point von daniken said that this was true now has he come out and said it was all a lie yes but it doesn't matter because we trust our our lord and daddy von daniken at some point i guess but yeah that's Mm -hmm. why the part i said about uh quote-unquote explorer i see they didn't actually explore anything yeah they just made it all up uh and yeah but yet it inspired all of this stuff about um about this cave so uh i want to tell you a little bit more about the cave though i want to know about this cave i think caves are this is a cave that was so cool the first man on the moon was like i'm gonna chase I'm going to chase a moon landing with cave exploring. This cave's got to be awesome. Yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. But first, but I first, need to introduce you to the uh, wonderful world of product and service. I'm ex- uh, let's let's dig down deep into that into that cavern. I don't know what I'm saying. Oh man, gotta love product or service. Big fan myself personally. Yeah. Okay. You know what we can do with all this money that we made? From product oh, yeah? and service What's that? is put is dig a hole in the ground and bury it, and then that's our treasure that people will find in thousands of years. Well, that is it. certainly a thing you could do. I will point out that it's probably not aliens currently makes a estimated um one dollar forty three cents per hour that we put that I put into the show. So let's go, might, let's go. It's not gonna be a big treasure hoard, I will say that. We're get we're we're doing so good. Thank you to everyone who supports us yeah. <laughs> on Nebula. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so but the Cave of Teos, otherwise known uh-huh. as the Cueva de los Teos, which is just Spanish for the Cave of Teos. Oh, um, perfect. You'll find it on the eastern slopes of the Andes Mountains in the Morona Santiago province of Ecuador, uh, kind of near its border with Peru. All right. The cave's located. How close is it to the Nazca lines? That's all I think about. I, I think, think the Nazca lines are like in southern Peru. So it's actually like fairly far apart. Nazca lines are like in the deserty part. This is the jungly part. Gotcha. How far is it away from Paddington Bear in Peru? He, he's from Peru. Is he? Uh, Paddington Bear is British. 
Yeah, they, it's a whole bit. Do you want me? Do I have to explain the backstory? I don't of Paddington know. I don't Bear know any Paddington lore. Okay. Um, Paddington Bear was they're from Peru, and they were visited by a British explorer who left like tapes on how to be polite and whatnot in polite British society, and that's where they learned to talk and be polite and have British accents. But they're from Peru. Oh wow, that's a lot more racist than I imagined. Okay. It's don't think about it. It's a cute bear. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> he likes sandwiches with marmalade oh yeah I, I, it's weird i did not know any i've never been to the wikia the fan wiki for uh for for deep paddington lore this you just have to watch the movies that's I, all you need to know you don't need to watch them. there's and the movies, movies are good. i thought it was like a bunch of kids books there it's it's based the movies are based on the kids books and the movies are great the movies are wonderful like this uh, paddington 2 had like 100 on rotten tomatoes for like years until one angry critic was like i didn't i thought it was just okay I think but, I like I I mostly think like I never watched it, but like I mostly like was aware of the '90s cartoon, but I did not know that. Okay, all right, we can't get into we this. can't get this. We're not, too much. We're this. not Patrick Willems, all right. We can't okay. get into Paddington lore. Uh, okay, so the uh, but the cave is in the Amazon rainforest, um, specifically in the uh, Cordillera del, del Condor region, which mm-hmm. has a huge amount of biodiversity. Uh, it's lo- It's composed of limestone and characterized by intricate systems of tunnels, chambers, and underground rivers. Okay, so maybe. Maybe it's not a lava tube. It's probably just a uh, carved by water. Um, so I don't think lime, limestone's not really a volcanic rock. So that would make sense. Uh, the cave is, I said two kilometers, but it's actually 20 kilometers. And its deepest explored point reaches approximately 860 meters below the surface. So that's pretty damn big. That's huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, some theories have indicated that its straight features could indicate it being a man-made structure, but there's no uh, evidence of that. Ecologically, it's home to a vast array of wildlife, including the one that it's named after, uh, which are called the oil birds or uh, Stito Ornithidae, which are a sort okay. of nocturnal bird uh, that the locals call the Teos, which basically is like, yeah, oil bird. Um, gotcha. Do the birds live in the cave? Like yes. bats? Here's the thing that's, yeah, here, oh. here's, a, here's a really cool uh, e- example of convergent evolution. They're nocturnal birds that eat fruit and they live in uh, these caves, but some other places too. Uh, the birds have, uh, the, the thing that's unique about these birds is that they navigate in complete darkness using echolocation. Oh my God. Uh, they emit these high pitched clicking sounds and listen for echoes to avoid obstacles. And uh, which is very rare among birds. Um, there's really yeah. only another one. Uh, some species of swifts can do it, but it just shows like this is like a bird that basically evolved into the niche of a bat. That is so cool. Yeah, Ecuador is still teaching us about evolution. Thank you. It's I also a very it. unique bird because it's one of those situations where it is its own genus. So it's mm-hmm. a sole species in its genus, family, and order. So it's it it has not many other species that are very similar to it. It's very weird in its own. Uh, only a handful of species are like this, where there's no other species in its family, no species in its genus or order. So that is so cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a weird offshoot. It primarily eats fruits but also um it's it, it more it most often eats fruits of the palm oil tree or uh the tropical laurels which makes it uh technically a what's called a frugivore which is a animal that a only frugivore. eats fruit i didn't know that was a thing yeah there are several animals that are called frugivores and also um it's a thing that some humans do uh very much against doctor's orders uh one of them being uh, a oh, person yeah. by the name of steve jobs who i don't know if i can make any distinct medical claims but it does seem like eating things that are only made up of sugar 
and then dying of pancreatic cancer might have some kind of link. I don't know. Mm, is that why he named his company Apple? I think that was maybe this is a myth, but I thought that was supposed to be an allusion to Alan Turing. But uh, that could be wrong. That seems, that seems like remember. a thing that, that people sound cool, but it's wrong. The original Apple logo was the um, Isaac Newton thing. That um, makes more sense. I feel like it being an oblique shout out to Alan Turing would. Uh, that's one of those things that sounds cool, which means it's probably wrong. Yeah. Um, Alan Turing being the like one of the, the fathers like of computing the, who committed suicide by eating a apple that he laced with cyanide. Um, I like the better idea that Steve Jobs just named it Apple because he was hungry and that was the only thing he could eat because he is a frugivore. Uh, so he by himself he made himself a fruit. Yeah, I think it was. was like, a, I, I think like that apple. Yeah, yum, it was yum, like yum. a later in life thing that Jobs got into with the fruit thing. Oh, you think he was inspired then by his own company? Yeah, he was just like, I <laughs> this company. I eat, sleep, and breathe apple. Literally, yeah. <laughs> that's all I do. <laughs> oh boy, I wonder how. I wonder if uh, I gotta find out what is Apple's Apple budget. How many Apple? How much? How many dollars of apples does Apple buy in a single year? That would. That's an interesting uh, question. Or is it anyway? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like, hmm. How how interesting is that? And then the answer is just like it's a number, and I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> is it a big number? Who knows? We don't know. Uh, but these. But the thing is that palm dates. So I. I guess like the reason it got its name oil bird is because uh they eat the fruit of pro- uh, palm oil trees which is uh another whole palm oil is like a whole like resource ecosystem thing that oh. I couldn't even get into today, but like palm oil is like, like it's, it's, it's key in making some chocolate and stuff like that. And it's like been linked with like all sorts of like worker and environmental destruction. And it's yeah. Anytime you get into like a useful tropical plant, there's just so much like brutality and exploitation involved, but these, uh, these Tayos birds, they, they just like to eat the fruit. So that's nice. Yeah. Little frugivores. I'm on the frugivore Wikipedia <laughs> page now. Cause this is interesting. To me oil birds are known for having, Having a loud and sometimes unsettling call and because they're nocturnal they happen at night and oftentimes they they tend to live in caves so you can imagine like the echoing of a cave and like this like loud nighttime chirp that like sounds weird like you could imagine that being yeah the source of many a scary story oh yeah for sure hey did you know that some fish are frugivores how's that work eat fruit that falls in the water i guess I or guess maybe there, there are be... there some plants underwater that grow fruit maybe i don't know there must be all right. Anyway, that's cool. I got to get off this page. I'm learning too much. <laughs> that's the that's the point of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the day, oil birds less, uh, rest on cave ledges and venture at night to find food. Um, their presence in the cave of Teos is so significant that it's become a defining feature of the cave, giving hence the fact that it's named after it. It's named after him. Yeah. But there is also in this cave various species of bat, spider, insect and amphibian. So it's it's definitely like a thriving ecosystem. And, and the bats showed the birds how to do the all the bats stuff you're like, like, hey, have you heard about clicking yeah have you heard about have you heard about clicking have you heard about fruits and have you heard about sleeping in a cave it's great stuff yeah, you could do it uh yeah they're just like uh what's it called they're just like uh like they're just such big fans of yeah of bats that they just like they got into it <laughs> i'm bat bird. i like your guys's whole vibe <laughs> i'm gonna get in on that i'm gonna dedicate my entire species to this okay um <laughs> but like it's it's so it's like a big thing of biodiversity and it's also in the amazon rainforest which is also known for having a huge amount of biodiversity to a point yeah. where I think it makes total sense that many countries, like any country that hosts even part of the Amazon rainforest, should just get paid by the international community to just not develop in it. Like it should just I get agree. paid to just take care of this massive rainforest that is like take care of it, leave it alone, let it do its thing. Yeah, because they are leaving like this place of 
unmatched beauty and like one of the most important sources of biodiversity on earth and then having a bunch of countries that are struggling to get by uh without like if you want that to not just be torn down for resource extraction they should just be paid just pay them 100 percent. yeah culturally the cave is also really important to the indigenous people of the region specifically the shuar and achuar people who see it as a sacred place with deep roots and legends that go around for generations before entering the cave that you have to if you want to go into the cave you have to go through a shuar ceremony uh during the ceremony you're given a shuar name and your faces are painted with red achiote fruit that symbolizes their connection that they have with the cave the shuar and achuar people uh, also have a deep relationship with the environment that's reflected in these myths and legends yeah Uh, they actually attribute moral values to nature and they have a whole cosmological system that explains their spiritual relationship with this sort of place and that's why like the cave, like this is like a lot of reason why like like when talking about like land back for indigenous people it's Mm -hmm. like this cult these cultures have a deep spiritual connection to this cave and to this specific cave Yeah. yeah and like a lot of indigenous cultures that were like you know pushed off their land and forced to go somewhere else have like have like those kinds of relationships just severed and that's why like indigenous people are so adamant about getting their like ancestral territory back because they have these like connections to these like specific places yeah you can't just go you can't just find another cave it's not the same cave yeah yeah and uh yeah, a, a, a lot of it is a lot of the legends that they have uh, surrounding the cave have to do with the existence of a race of large, peaceful Amazonians who were welcomed by the Shuar and Achuar people, uh, believed to belong to the spirit world. Uh, and um, neat. Yeah, and people think that it might have been like you know influenced by past interactions with other tribes and peoples that might have lived in that cave in the past. Mm-hmm. So there's like a lot of mystique and interesting questions about like did people yeah. live in this cave at a certain point? Were there cave people at a certain point? For sure, for sure. Which yeah. is interesting to say that they're large because um, most evidence we have of like people who spend a lot of time living underground, their culture mm-hmm. ends up becoming rather short. Like the idea of like the dwarf from like fantasy and stuff like that has its roots oh, yeah. in the fact that like if you go to like sort of like you know pre-modern like ancient mining towns the people like after like several generations of people going down into the mine and doing that they they tend mm-hmm. to get shorter and squatter because like shorter people ah. do better in the mines right so they do better the children yearn for the mines <laughs> yeah and so people think that that's like where the legend of dwarves came from is that like you know people who spend a lot of t- like like towns and like villages that spend a lot of time in mines tend to become mm. shorter over time like as like you know how tall is the tiktok lady i got it <laughs> No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, because you gotta, you gotta fit into little, little holes and stuff like that, right? Like before dynamite. I mean, you could theor. I, I like it. You could just make the mines bigger, but like, is it? It's more efficient to make them smaller and just have smaller people. Yeah, especially if you don't have like dynamite or power tools or things like that to clear rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, to 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 kind of go on, like the the Shuar and Achuar are indigenous groups that live in the rainforest, primarily in Ecuador and Peru, and they're known uh, sometimes as the Hiba and are like the shuar are known as the hibaro and have like a lot of interesting uh hunting skills the thing they're probably most known for is a tradition called sansa which is a form of head shrinking Mm. so this is like the sort of um shrunken head thing you've probably heard of where like if they've defeated i think i don't know exactly the cultural context surrounding it but i think it has to do with people that they've defeated in battle where they will basically take like sort of the 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 skin of the head and like dry it out and it'll like kind of like shrink around this thing and like it turns ah. into like this like little totem. They're they're quite I've seen I've seen them in museums. They're quite interesting. And I, I imagine there's a whole bunch of like cultural context and, and ritual surrounding it that I haven't heard about and I just heard 
you know, people being like, holy shit, have you seen these shrunken heads? Like that kind of thing. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, taking things out of context and just, uh, and just stigmatizing it. But if there's one thing that they're known for, like on the world stage, it's because of these things I should have done. I realizing now I probably should have done more research to give that context. So to you, but uh, you go to your local library and look up this yeah. tradition of the shoe are go to your local metal library yeah. and they'll have a wisdom of the ancients there. Paper libraries are good too. If you want. Yeah. Those are good. And we need more of them. Mm-hmm. And love actually, libraries. I like, just get, like, like just, I do like most of my reading through libraries. Just so everyone knows libraries do more than books. You can like, you can like borrow tools and stuff from libraries. Mm-hmm. There's computers. That's There's cool. uh, I have, I use uh LinkedIn learning through it. And a lot of libraries have like free classes through that. Uh, I have one that's like all like language learning stuff. There's also um, like a lot of them have Libby now, which is sort of yeah. like a way to borrow like audiobooks and ebooks from the library and just read them on your, on it's your device. Free. Yeah. Libraries fucking rule. And it makes me sad that I think that like, if you tried to propose the idea today, nobody would buy into it. Like the government would just lend people books for free. This they'd is communism. Borrow, they'd let you borrow a lawnmower. No, you have to buy one from the store with your money that you earn. Yeah. Libraries are awesome. I'll just keep on from there. Yep. The shoe, uh, uh, the shoe are, were in the past semi-nomadic, which is like a term for like people who would like live in an area for maybe about 10 years or so until they depleted the resources of that region and then move on to another. Uh, mm-hmm. and they would live in like the rainforest with like sort of like loose kin and political ties towards each other. Um, but now, uh, some of the shoe are, are starting to integrate into the local market, living closer to market centers or engaging in like, you know, regular wage labor, while there are some who still practice like this ancient subsistence lifestyle of just like living kind of like on a hunting and gathering li- lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Shuar have a rich tradition of uh, seeing this vision of the universe that shows up in their food, their myths, their dance and their language, uh, specifically with a high veneration for nature and and uh, and the 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 uh, the like duty to protect it. Yeah. Uh, the Achuar are people who live in the uh, the Pastaza River basin in Ecuador and Peru, and they also have like a cultural tradition that they pass down. They're uh, more they're not so much nomadic. They are uh, farmers. They've grown maize, beans, and vegetables in like small gardens, but also have a profound spiritual connection to the natural world, seeing it as alive and emphasizing that there's a strong interdependence between humans and nature. It's considered the place where the Achuar live. Uh, they they consider themselves stewards, but they are stewards of one of the most biodiverse ecosystems on earth. And yeah. so they do things like perform rituals at waterfalls that they consider sacred and all sorts of stuff like that. Like, so they are not only like stewards of the environment, they are stewards of like one of the most important like ecosystems that exists. Oh, the pressure. Yeah. <laughs> No pressure. No pressure. The cave has also been the subject of a lot of scientific expeditions, which means that it's it's become more scientifically important for understanding it because of the, all the biodiversity and nature that exists inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like that, that, I think that's all really cool. And so like then I think about like the legends, like the sort of the the metal library and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of went into like a little bit about like why do people believe in these things? And I kind of so like, like where did yeah because like where did this idea of the metal library came? Is it literally just they made it up for fun? My guess is that it would be for like. I either notoriety or for money or something like that. But I think that people like these kinds of things and like legends play a big role in all sorts of fiction and like our very pervasive cultural things. Like the idea that South America has this whole pervasive uh, idea of the, the city of El Dorado, which still, or like things like the fountain of youth, which are all sort of still part of the mythos today. And 
I think it's just because like this doesn't sound this is not so like uh, controversial to say, but like humans have a sort of innate curiosity and uh, yeah. a need to uh, learn about the world. And I think it is that allure of like hidden treasure and esoteric knowledge is part of what makes these kinds of things have legs and always uh, go forward. Also, I think our need to know and understand things shows the appeal of mysteries and why we like mysteries and unexplored things, unexplained things, and why the idea that the world being mostly explored feels like such a depressing thing. Uh, I mean, and that just to tie back into something you were saying earlier, that's like part of why protecting the the rainforest is like a big deal is i feel like there's probably still a lot of stuff there that we have a lot of species there that we haven't found there's like there's it's not even that like um i don't know if you've saw this in the news lately but i've been wanting to talk about it on something somewhere but like for the longest time there's been growing uh mounting evidence so okay this is super cool uh none of this like some of this stuff is not 100 percent verified so some of it is speculative but it's like smart people who know uh archaeology speculating it so it's a it's Bigfoot is in the rainforest. Bigfoot's in the rain. Even cooler than Bigfoot. So there has been, so like one of the things that's going on in Brazil is that there's been this ongoing clearing of the Amazon rainforest, mostly to build new cattle ranches, right? Mm. And one of the things about the Amazon that has always stuck out as a little bit strange compared to other places on earth is that it has the, the like natural plants have uh they have like an unnaturally high amount of plants that are useful to humans in them and as Mm. we're getting a better idea of how indigenous technology worked a lot of their stuff had to do with uh geoengineering like for example controlled burning of places to make to ensure that like plants they wanted to grow that were useful to them would show up the next year or like for example in north america we saw some indigenous nations who would burn down large parts of forest in order to expand prairie land in order to have more grazing land for buffalo that they could then follow and hunt um uh-huh. like pre-columbian americas had a lot of civilizations that had a deep knowledge of like how to like instead of like you know building cool gizmos and stuff like that their idea of technology was a lot of this like manipulation and genetic or not genetic well there's a little bit of genetic if you think about selective breeding as that but like you know just like geoengineering yeah. and manipulating the environment yeah and and as we've been clearing the amazon we have been finding more and more evidence that there was probably like two thousand years ago or so a pretty large and sophisticated civilization where the amazon has like grown over and Mm. so there is like a growing suspicion that not only was there this like civilization that lived in the amazon or today in like the amazon rainforest but that they probably actively like cultivated a good chunk of the biodiversity of the rainforest in order to produce things that would be useful to them like food and like uh, you know various different materials they needed so recently there was this large i I don't want to i don't want to say anything incorrectly because i haven't like uh, done like the deep research on it but there was like this big like sort of radar survey or something like that where they did this uh a bunch of archaeologists did this like sort of wider thing where they used like either like satellite or something like that to like penetrate the foliage to like look for signs of of things and like they're finding that this civilization was way bigger and way more sophisticated than they're like they're sending like evidence of like roads and like walls and like 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 mar- much larger building complexes than uh we mm-hmm. ever imagined and so like the amazon is like full of unfound treasures that we uh that we may discover someday which i think is wild oh my god that's so cool i know it's unbelievably cool and um if you want to read more about it there's a whole chapter on it in a book that i've been yelling at you to read for years 1491 by charles c mann 1491 i have it i bought it right at the start of us doing this it's it's podcast an amazing book so but if you are somebody who says that who finds an interest in like the kinds of 
uh, indigenous pre-Columbian ancient stuff that like ancient aliens kind of evades. Uh, 1491 mm-hmm. would be like right up your alley. It's like my number one. Uh, anybody who takes interest in this kind of stuff, it's like my number one recommendation. If you liked Guns, Germs, and Steel, I'm so sorry literally- that book is shit. <laughs> Um, 1491 is like, what if guns, germs, and steel was good? Because it's I was not the gonna make a joke about guns, germs, and steel. Yeah. Cause the whole, cause uh, yeah, guns, germs, and steel's thesis is that geography resulted in the indigenous people being, uh, you know, backwards and technologically inferior to Europeans. When the answer is that they weren't technologically inferior to Europeans. They just had a completely different, they did it different. Uh, yeah, they did a completely different form of technological development. That is, that was sophisticated in ways that we are now centuries still. later trying to figure Learning. out yeah and there's a lot of other evidence too like the fact that um guns weren't as good as bows they were just easier to train people on and that like boots that europeans had were shitty compared to moccasins and like i don't know they the idea that indigenous people were somehow technologically inferior to europeans is actually uh just a lack of appreciation for what kind of technology they developed anyways yeah anyway that's a, we could go we could talk about this forever yeah uh, but yeah, myths are like a really big, or myths are important for understanding part of our, I think that humans organize uh, our memories through story. And that's why story is so key yeah. to the way that we remember and pass on things. So mystery and curiosity, I, I in many ways, even if they are fake, I think that um, stories are really cool for like showing that humans have like this innate curiosity and wonder that I think is one of our more charming features. So there is that. Absolutely. Um, but there is part, there's a part where I have to make you sad, which is just that like, this shows another example of the way that archaeology. Yeah. yeah. This shows another example of how archaeology has been like misinterpreted and, and sort of its image has been messed with in popular culture. Things like Indiana mm-hmm. Jones or ancient aliens create this like misunderstanding. Which features the real life Indiana Jones, by yeah. the way. Who other people describe as the real Indiana Jones or the real life Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. But like Indiana Jones, but also like, you know, Tomb Raider or Uncharted. Sure. Like, paint this idea of archaeology as this romantic and adventurous thing, uh, which then overshadows that, you know, archaeology is science it's methodical uh-huh. it's slow it's diligent and it's not just like you know whips and um and uh and just ma- and, and just mass murdering the mass murder like nathan drake yeah. does yeah so that's the idea is that archaeologists are either seen as bookworms or adventurers and it's led to a lot of misconceptions uh and now this has actually inspired people to go into archaeology but it has also apparently created unrealistic expectations so like a lot of times they're like there's sometimes where people go into archaeology and then when they find out what it really is they're like oh it, i'm just just going to be sifting dirt for a couple months yeah and mm. and but the thing that the coolest ones are like i get to sift dirt for three months yeah those are the best people when you meet people who love it they're just like we found a tiny half centimeter shard of porcelain and that made my year yeah because like you have no idea how much that how important that is mm-hmm. um and like the other thing too is that when archaeologists make like really big discoveries that makes the press too and that sort of contributes to the sort of misremembering like anytime like a new a new Egyptian tomb is uncovered or something like that that like makes the news mm. and it's like that is like such a rare phenomenon and honestly yeah. sometimes I think it's a little well, bit that's overwhelming that's why it's news yeah yeah. you can imagine that's, that's like the whole thing is that it's 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 news because it's rare you know mm-hmm. it does not happen all the time yeah yeah i could also imagine if i was an archaeologist and like these things are like slow and methodical that like unearthing a whole new tomb is like oh god okay well i guess i have no, the next this... 20 years cut out for me yeah 
<laughs> exactly. So there have been actually calls to have a more uh, accurate representation of archaeology and media to increase the sort of uh, public understanding of this act of this field. Mm-hmm. And that uh, and that archaeologists are the brave people who often find themselves having to deal with do the work that we're doing right now, debunking myths and hoaxes about ancient aliens or Atlantis or other bullshit. Um, do you ever watch The Librarians? No, I think it was a show about archaeology, but with less killing people. Um, it was still finding magical, mystical artifacts, which is still probably not real, but uh, <laughs> had Noah Weil in it, and he's great. All right, well, worth checking out. The other thing too, though, is that like this is also like this like misinterpretation of archaeology has led to like the side archaeologists, the non-professional like treasure hunter mm, type people uh, yeah. who have a habit of doing lots of damage to archaeological sites and illegal excavations, and we talked a lot about with several of them like there was that uh, that group that was trying to find the uh the ark of the covenant by like messing around with like ancient jewish temples and stuff like that and it's like oh fuck. right uh, uh yeah and yeah. also like this leads to tourism which also has like a negative effect on a lot of these sites and yeah uh, it's just it's not great um also a lot of the times this sort of idea is again uh disrespectful disrespective or disrespecting of indigenous culture and heritage because you know you're literally digging through their their past uh some indigenous cultures do see like archaeological sites as spiritually inhabited like a lot of archaeological work today is involved like involves doing the really hard work of building the relationship with the indigenous people that you are then digging through their their past so you mm-hmm. have to make sure that you are doing it on their terms and you are accepting the way that they revere these things because like sometimes we don't appreciate like when we dig up like an ancient skeleton or something like that that like that is the bones of their ancestors and like in yeah. some ways if you do not approach this with the utmost of respect and respect their wishes you may be like literally desecrating their graves and stuff like that so you have to archaeologists today have to do a lot of this legwork that a lot of these explorer types don't do of facilitating doing this the right way because archaeology has a unfortunate long history of uh, of basically facilitating colonization and not respecting the cultures of which they are digging through the history of yeah yeah and you know it's it's sensationalism but um but yeah the the idea the other thing too is that uh we have to mention the fact that the shuar and achuar are facing issues like the fact that miners keep showing up in this region mm. they deal with missionaries who are trying to destroy their spiritual heritage and kind of force them to become christian there's the issue of settlers i.e like uh people who are not indigenous you know ecuadorians from the like main ecuadorian mainstream ecuadorian culture like building uh and and expanding into their lands Mm -hmm. and just the growing of industry like i mentioned that um ecuador has oil so oil exploration uh becomes an issue in their territory because people are trying to build oil rigs that then like you know will destroy the environment and fuck with their natural there's things <laughs> the shuar are working to try and conserve their culture by you know keeping up their traditional religion and their medicine and the achuar do try to uh collaborate to try and preserve this stuff but uh they both have this rich connection but yeah they're dealing with a lot of pressures but the fact that uh ecuador and many south american countries have tons of untapped natural resources and in our economy where we have to always be growing faster every year uh it means that the these countries are being pressured more and more to destroy the beautiful, fragile, unique thing that they do have Man. in order to um, make number go up. That because sucks. to them, making number go up means jobs, means yeah. rent, it means uh, cities, it means internet, it means... See, this is why I like your idea of, of 
just humanity as a, in general just paying these countries to just keep <laughs> keep these places yeah. uh you know thriving yeah and yeah uh, the amazon is like it's not even uh there is no other place on earth that has that level of biodiversity and humanity as a whole has a duty to keep it functioning and uh to keep it yes. alive and, I mean, uh, and and these people are the stewards of that land and we should be paying like people like the Achuar and the Shuar to keep protecting this uh completely like priceless part of the yes. earth i mean have you heard about the birds that are bats yeah that's cool they should start breeding those with the birds that uh drink blood <laughs> oh we're that this is good we're in trouble now this is this is too good of an idea vampire birds yeah. yes i think they're actually called vampire finches oh that's great let me see i'm gonna look that up yes they're called the vampire ground finch well they're gonna be a vampire cave finch soon enough yeah that's pretty awesome but yeah that is uh that's the the library of teo or the the teos and <laughs> teos and the metal library um that yeah quote unquote library library yeah that doesn't exist but uh if there if you find a library that does exist uh support it with your with your patronage support but also it, get stuff i mean it supports you that's yeah. the fun part of a library it's it free supports you as as uh arthur would say having fun isn't hard if you have a library card that's right uh, but Good yeah, job, uh, Arthur. and if you do support the library, please uh, take a picture of you supporting the library and put, send it to at probs, not aliens on Twitter and blue sky. And blue sky. That's where you can find us. Uh, do we have a blue sky code for people? Yeah. Yeah. Where you have a uh, BSKY dash social dash V F R seven a dash a E four K N it's all lowercase first come first serve. First come, first serve, and we've been uh, we've been doing uh, one for the Nebula releases and one for the regular non-Nebula releases. So all of you non-Nebula people who maybe haven't had a chance to uh, get those codes now you can. Why? Why would you get those scoped away from you from the Nebula people? It's because Nebula. You can listen to episodes early mm-hmm. uh, if you support us over there. Nebula.tv slash probably not aliens. It's great stuff. Tristan. Yeah. What do you do on the internet besides this? anything uh, sometimes I, I i i run a youtube channel called step back where i talk about uh like basically i just talk about history and why it's important for understanding things that happen today uh at the moment my latest video that should be out by the if it doesn't if it's not out by the time this happens then i'm in big trouble but it would be about um uh Gaza and the history of Israel and Palestine and all of the history that you need to know to make it make it make some kind of sense. Um, Excellent. In, uh, and Scott, if I wanted to yep. know why Groot saying I am Groot is so important. Yes. The mind blowing uh, meaning behind mind Groot, blowing. Is that what I said in my title? In all caps. Gosh. Mind blowing. All caps. The mind blowing reason. Groot says I am Groot. Where would I need to go to find that video? You go to nerdsync.com. That, I no, don't go there. I don't own that website. <laughs> it's uh, youtube.com slash nerdsync uh, productions, actually. Just look up nerdsync. I don't own any of the, the good URLs that actually link to my channel. I don't own youtube.com slash nerdsync. Uh, someone else does. But anyway, nerdsync, N E R D S Y N C. I talk about uh, comics and superheroes and cartoons. And I just, I, and I'm going to, I haven't made a video essay in a while, but I need to get back on it. Um, so look forward to that. I've been teasing this thing about, be like, uh, this is why Groot saying I am Groot is still important. 
This is why, yeah, I'll just do sequels to all my mind-blowing, the mind-blowing reason why Groot is still relevant in 2024, uh, even though Guardians ended. Uh, thank you to everyone who writes reviews of our show, of this show that you're listening to on Apple Podcasts and leaves feedback on Spotify. Every time I mention that I get emails, oops, I'll say that again. Every time I mention that I get emails uh, from people who leave feedback on Spotify, it always gives a spike to the amount of people who keep doing it. So thank you so much to everyone who does that because I get emails every time you leave some feedback or, and things like that. It's great. And you can tell your friends about the show. <laughs> I would love it if you did that. Yeah. It's 2024. Say, hey, you need a new podcast? This is a great one. Yeah. Not enough podcasts in the world. Not enough pod, not enough white guys doing podcasts. It's so true. We got that. We got that covered. And a great place to send your friends is a very simple website, probsnotaliens.com. It's got mm-hmm. links to everything over yeah. there where you can listen to uh, on every single platform that we're on. Links right there, making it easy for you. But that's it. So until next time, my name is Scott Nice Wander. I'm Tristan Johnson. And the truth is out there. Probably. I don't even know what I went with. I, I got two probably, and I was like, I don't even know. I don't know See, what's going to happen. Because it was about a cave, but we've already done one where you did an echo. Yeah. You were like, probably, probably, probably. We're running out of ideas. Hey, if you're still listening at this point, send us your best probably. ideas for how we should end the show. <laughs> how we should say the word probably. How should this show end? We're running out of ways to say this one word. Maybe we end it like this. <laughs>